We're going to continue our series this morning entitled Questioning Christianity. And the songs that we've been singing tie in very nicely when we think about uh, creation and the message that creation uh, proclaims. And the question is, you know, when you uh, consider what you see, uh, the world that has been made, uh, and you consider how we know uh, about that world, obviously the tool of science is very important, very valuable. And the question that we're going to talk about this morning has to do with whether or not science has disproved Christianity. You know, can these two uh, ideas, Christianity and science, can they go together or must they be separated? Is, there, is it one against the other? Are they contrasting or do they, are they compatible? And one of the most popular atheists, uh, the scientist Richard Dawkins, has spoken out against belief in God. And he says uh, that actually you cannot be an intelligent scientific thinker and still hold religious beliefs. Dawkins and others see no compatibility between belief in God and the discipline of science. Professor Lawrence Krauss from Arizona State University says, All the world's religions, all the world's religions and scriptures are inconsistent with science and it is inappropriate to argue otherwise. And so clearly there's a belief there, especially among some that are uh, very intelligent, uh, very skilled at scientific discovery and with scientific tools that say, you know, science and religion cannot coexist. And they would say, you know, we, we used to believe in God because we had these gaps in our understanding. Kind of the God of the gaps idea that, that we could not understand uh, where sickness came from and how things happened. And so we would just attribute that to God. God did it. Uh, but now, because we have, we have progressed so far in our scientific understanding of the body and the world we live in, it's really kind of pushed God out of the picture. And so there's really no need for belief in God any longer. In the Jesus Seminar's introduction to the five Gospels, they state, the contemporary religious controversy turns on whether the, whether the worldview reflected in the Bible can be carried forward into this scientific age and retained as an article of faith. The Christ of creed and dogma can no longer command the ascent of those who have seen the heavens through Galileo's telescope. So even those in the Jesus Seminar say, you know, what is taught in the Bible uh, cannot be put forward in this age of scientific discovery. And if you've seen the heavens through Galileo's telescope, then you will see there's really no room for belief in God. So the question is, has science disproved Christianity? Well, by looking at two subjects, I'm going to show that uh, science has not disproven Christianity. And further, I'm going to show you that science and Christianity can be wonderfully compatible. And the two subjects that I want to address are two subjects that, tend, uh, that people tend to use to really drive a wedge in between Christianity and science. And those two subjects are miracles and evolution. First, let's consider miracles. Now, as we consider miracles, let me be clear on what I mean by the term miracle. You know, some of you may use the term miracle like this. You may say, you know, Ron, it was a miracle I made it on time to church today. 
And for some of you, that may be true to some degree. But that's not what I mean when I say miracle. You know, because we can go back and explain. Well, actually, you left the house at this time. Your car was able to go this fast. You called this many green lights. And you found a great parking spot. And you made it on time. In other words, we can explain how you made it to church on time through natural causes. But a miracle is something beyond just a natural cause. William Lane Craig, the the well-known Christian philosopher, defines a miracle this way. He says, A miracle is an event which is not producible by the natural causes that are operative at the time and place that the event occurs. So you cannot explain a miracle through natural causes. A miracle is something that happens that is a result of the supernatural. For example, God creating the world is miraculous. Jesus healing the blind man is miraculous. Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish is miraculous. Jesus being raised from the dead, that's miraculous. It cannot be repeatable. Uh, You cannot experiment with it, observe it, and you can't explain it with natural cause. And so these are events, events within history that cannot be explained by appealing to natural causes. So now that we know what a miracle is, let me show you why science and the miraculous can coexist. You know, science is a wonderful discipline. It is, it is a tool in the toolbox of gaining knowledge that we ought to use and we should value. And it's truly amazing when you think about how much we have discovered about our world and about our bodies, etc., uh, because of science over the past even 100 years. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, what people can discover and what people have discovered because of science. And science is a valid and important way in which we gain knowledge, and the Christian should be actively involved in scientific discovery in order to gain more knowledge about the world that we live in. However, science, just like other disciplines, it has its limitations. Atheistic philosopher Michael Ruse said this. He said, Creationists believe the world started miraculously. But miracles lie outside of science, which by definition deals with the natural, the repeatable, that which is governed by law. And so what Ruse is saying is that science can help us understand that which is natural and repeatable. But if something is not natural or repeatable, science cannot help us discover what that is. So miracles, by definition, are not natural, and they're not repeatable. Therefore, science cannot give us any insight into the existence of miracles. And there are other uh, areas of knowledge or arenas of knowledge that science just cannot help us with. For example... Uh, the whole idea of ethics and morality. Science cannot tell you anything about what you ought to do or what you ought not to do. You know, science cannot tell you what is right and what is wrong because it's beyond its reach. It's beyond its limitations. And so you cannot use science to determine morality. And just like you cannot determine science to uh, dive into the fields of knowledge outside of natural calls. Remember, science is very helpful and valuable for those things that are repeatable and have a natural cause to them. 
science is invaluable. But there are certain arenas of knowledge that are outside the reach of science. And so these limitations of science are important to acknowledge. And sometimes by failing to acknowledge the limitations of science, some people make the jump that because science cannot discover this aspect of knowledge, then therefore that knowledge does not exist. And this is one, I think, danger of embracing science as a comprehensive worldview rather than just a helpful tool for gaining knowledge and understanding. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you're downtown and you all go to uh, the Mellow Mushroom for some pizza. Okay, you and a friend. It's late at night, very dark outside. And it just so happens that all of the street lights on Broad Street are, are not working except for one. So you have one street light shining on the sidewalk and the road there and making a, a nice kind of a circular light on the, on the road and sidewalk. And your friend comes out and he begins to crawl around in that circle of light. And you think, what is he doing? And you say, friend, you know, what, what's going on? He said, well, I got out of my car and I, can't, I came to the restaurant, but I can't find my keys. I think I dropped them between the car and the restaurant, and I can't find them. And you say, well, you know, where do you think you dropped them? I say, well, I think I dropped them by the car over there. And then you say, well, then why are you crawling on your hands and knees in just this little circle of light? And he says, well, this is where the light is. And the point is, there, there's a whole world out there to discover a whole world of knowledge to discover, but he is just focusing on where this one streetlight is illuminating. And that's what science is like. Science is a wonderful tool to illuminate knowledge in so many different areas. However, science is limited in its ability to illuminate all knowledge. And so I think it's important for us to understand science is a wonderful discipline, a wonderful tool but it's not the only tool in the toolbox to understand and gather knowledge. And so therefore, I don't see any problem with believing in the miracles of the Bible and valuing science as a way to acquire knowledge. So as Christians, we should in no way uh, hesitate or uh, fear scientific discovery. We should embrace it and dive into it because I don't think there's any contradiction between science and the miraculous. The second subject that often surfaces when the topic of science and religion comes up is evolution. Now, when someone says evolution, they could mean several different things. And so I'm going to bring some clarification to this topic, which I think will help us uh, gain a better understanding of what we're discussing here. First of all, there is a term that is, I guess, more rightly referred to as microevolution. And microevolution is the belief that there, there are variations within a species. For example, you may have dogs that are tall, dogs that are short, dogs that have long hair, dogs that have short hair. And there's all these variations of these dogs, but one thing's in common, and that is they're all dogs. Right? But there can be variations within dogness. You know. And that's microevolution. Okay, so some people, when they talk about evolution, they're referring to microevolution. Most often when uh, someone refers to evolution, they're referring to macroevolution. 
And macroevolution is when you have one species uh, being able to evolve into another species. For example, mankind evolving over millions of years from a, a single-celled organism. Okay? So there was a progression over, over many years uh, to bring us to the point where we are today. That's macroevolution. And so it's not just you have tall dogs, short dogs, uh, long-haired dogs, short-haired dogs, but you have like a dog becoming a whole different animal, a dog becoming a horse, for example, or something like that. That's macroevolution. There's a change in species. And this is generally what is understood when someone uses the term evolution. But there's a third way this term is used that I want to point out. Sometimes when people use the word evolution, they're, they're referring to a purely naturalistic view of the world. Meaning that all that exists is the natural world. And everything that occurs can be explained by natural causes. So as you can see, this view of evolution or this concept of evolution goes beyond just science. But it's, it's an all-encompassing worldview saying that all that exists is the natural world. So there's like a closed system. There is no God. There is no supernatural. Everything is natural. And everything that occurs can be explained by natural causes. And I'll refer to this concept, this idea as naturalism. But sometimes when people refer to evolution, that's what they're talking about. So with these three definitions, let's consider how evolution squares with Christianity. First of all, I don't know anyone, that doesn't mean they're aren't any, but I just don't know anyone that's a Christian that has a problem with microevolution. And that it occurs and exists and that it's compatible with Christianity. I don't I don't see a problem with that and I don't I haven't run into many people or really anyone who has a problem with the idea of microevolution, changes within species. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. The conflict between evolution and Christianity occurs with macroevolution and with evolution as a worldview. <clears throat> and I'm referring here to naturalism. So let's first address the conflict with macroevolution. You know, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, as well as the rest of the Scripture, there are certain truths that if you believe the Bible is God's Word and is true in all that it states, if that's your belief, then there are certain truths that are unavoidable that you just cannot get away from. And here, here they are. First, God created the world. I mean, if you believe the Bible is God's Word, I don't see how there's any way possible to get away from the idea that God created the world. Okay? So God created the world. Second truth is that God created mankind. I mean, there's no doubt about it if you believe the Bible. It's very clear. God created mankind. And thirdly, God is making, us, him, making for Himself a people. I mean, it's just very clear, very evident, all through the pages of Scripture. And I don't see how you could possibly deny that. But what is not laid out in great detail in the first few chapters of Genesis is the process by which God brought forth creation. I mean, you have like one chapter explaining the creation of all there is. And so it's very uh, simplistic in that it just lays it out very clearly, uh, in, in short statements. And so he doesn't give us a lot of detail as far as how he brought things about. But it's very clear that God is the creator, which I believe is the main point of Genesis 1, but we're not, giving much, we're not giving much detail as far as how he created 
and what processes he may have used other than his, his word. And this has led to a lot of conflict, not only between Christians and non-Christians, but even within Christianity itself. And my first exposure to this uh, was when I was at Clemson, and I heard a uh, chemist, he came to campus to speak, his name was Fritz Schaefer, and he's a very uh, widely respected chemist, um, trying to educate the people of the University of Georgia, which I applaud him in that because they need it, right? Everybody. I went to Clemson, if you didn't know, and so it's the low blow, I know. But anyway, he's at Georgia, and I was at Clemson. He came over to Clemson. He was educating us, too. And he said, uh, he was was speaking on the existence of God. And he began to explain, not only does God exist, according to his, his viewpoint as a chemist, but he also began to explain the differing views within the church as to how God brought forth creation. And you may be familiar with some of these views. For example, uh, one view is that God created the world in six literal 24-hour days. And that the earth is a fairly young earth. And then you have other people that believe that uh, the earth is older, but yet God still created uh, you know, mankind, for example, from the dust of the ground. And then you have others that believe God created the earth And then he created all living things through a process. And so there's a variety of uh, beliefs, even within Christianity, as to how God brought forth creation. But the common thread is that God created. And I I like to uh, associate this idea with uh, the church's concept of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because some of you actually are studying the book of Revelation in your Sunday school class. And you are learning that the book of Revelation is, is very uh, is, is full of symbolism and very interesting and complex language. And you're trying to figure it out. And one thing you know for sure is that Jesus is coming back. He will come back and He'll judge the living and the dead. We know that for a fact. Everybody that believes the Bible is God's Word believes that. However, when you get into the details as far as how He's going to do that, as far as the timeline, there's some debate. And for example, our church, you know, there, there's room in our church for you to believe in uh, the rapture prior to the tribulation, uh, a mid-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture. I mean, there's room in our church that you can be a member of our church and hold to all those views as long as you hold to the fact that Jesus is coming again and He's going to judge the living and the dead, Right? Because that's the main thrust of the teaching. And we are a little unclear as far as the details. The same thing's true, I think, with, with how God brought about the world. Now, personally, I, I don't subscribe to macroevolution. Uh, but at the same time, I'll confess that I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't feel, at least at this point in my study, that I can pinpoint the age of the earth. And so... I would be somewhat weary to uh, put a timeline on that. Uh, But with that said, there are those who would put a timeline on it. And some would put a timeline of thousands of years, and some would put a timeline of millions of years. But personally, I think there's room in the church for those differing views, as long as you hold fast to the clear teaching of Scripture, which is God created the world, God created mankind, and God is making a people for Himself, 
And through Jesus Christ, He will renew not only mankind, but all of creation. And so, personally, I, think, uh, I, don't, I don't think God used macroevolution to bring about mankind. Um, but there may be Christians, and I know there are Christians, that believe that He did. And I think as long as there's agreement on the fundamental idea that God is the one who creates and that mankind's in the image of God, I think there can be room for discussion and debate. But this third view of evolution that I want to discuss is absolutely incompatible with Christianity. And so hopefully with some of those other debates we can get more in detail, maybe if we study the book of Genesis or not. But I do want to move on to this last description of evolution, which is commonly held to, but we don't often pick up on. And that is that when someone says they believe in evolution, sometimes what they're saying is they believe that the natural world is all there is. And so they are extending the reach of science, I believe, beyond its limitations to begin to uh, be a comprehensive worldview to try to describe everything that there is to know. And so when it comes to ethics, when it comes to what is right, what is wrong, all knowledge is seen through a scientific lens. And if you can't see it through science, then it does not exist. Or we just haven't discovered a natural way of interpreting that yet. And so what you need to know is when some claim to be evolutionist or believe in evolution, what they may be saying is that they are naturalists. In other words, they believe the natural world is all that there is. And the danger is in that is that when a naturalist comes to evidence, evidence that you may say, you know, is clearly pointing to a divine creator, a designer, they would say, I can't explain this, but I believe in the future there's going to be a natural explanation for this. In other words, a naturalist brings a presupposition, a preconceived idea that there is no God. And so they are forced to try to come up with a natural explanation for everything. And what we need to realize is that is a belief system. That is a position of faith. And that they're automatically eliminating other forms of knowledge other than just science and natural cause. And so when some people will say, I, I'm a, I believe in evolution, one thing we need to make sure that we understand is that what they may be saying is they believe that uh, there are natural laws that govern the universe that God uses to bring things about. That's one view. Or they may could be saying there is no God. And sometimes naturalism equals atheism. Well, pretty much always naturalism equals atheism. And both are obviously very incompatible with Christianity. And so in that sense, I would say Christianity and evolution cannot sit at the same table. I mean, they're not going to be in agreement. There's no way to bring those together with any type of compatibility. However, I do believe that science and even forms of evolution, like I mentioned earlier, are compatible with Christianity. For example, Francis Collins, who was a key scientist in the mapping of the human genome, and who is the current president of the National Institute of Health, says it this way. He says, I find that studying the natural world is an opportunity to observe the majesty 
the, the elegance, the in, intricacy of God's creation. I find that studying the natural world is an opportunity to observe the majesty, the elegance, the intricacy of God's creation. In other words, as we dive into science and discover more of the world we live in, what we would say is, it points to the glory of God. I mean, it showcases His majesty. It showcases His power. Or as the psalmist put it over 2,500 years ago, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And so I want to encourage you, dive into science. You know, use science. It's a wonderful tool to discover more information about the world we live in. But it's not the only tool in the toolbox. And that would be my critique of some who hold to evolution and a more naturalistic philosophy. So again, if you all have any questions about this or would like to talk more about it, I would love to get together with you. We could grab coffee or you come by the office sometime or maybe ask one of your friends to, to discuss this with you. But I think it's worthy to come alongside each other and have these types of discussions so that not only can we understand what the Bible says, but also we can, uh, we can know how to interact with other fields of knowledge such as science, ethics, etc. So with that said, let us pray and go to the Lord. God, we just praise you for your majesty, your creativity, your power. As we dive down into the cell of the human body and see the intricacy there. And then as we look into the heavens and we see the stars and the galaxies and all that you've created there. We're just amazed by the vastness of space and the intricacy of the details that you put in place in all living things and even inanimate objects. We thank you for science. We thank you for minds that can reason and are curious and can find ways to even harness what you've given us to promote the good of people and the good of creation. Lord, thank you for your word that speaks truth, that has revealed yourself to us and that interprets for us all the data that we see so that we can see and proclaim with the psalmist that in fact all that we discover, all that we know from science as well as other fields of knowledge, that it proclaims your glory and your handiwork. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.